0: So this is going to be the last in our series on healing. This is uh, we started with. Uh, just to remind you, we started with God uh, is not the author of sickness. That actually sickness comes from the enemy. It's never used as a tool by God to teach you, to to help you get on the straight path. It's never used to to guide you or correct you. That sickness is always a tool of the enemy, and it never comes from God. And then in the, the, the second lesson we went on, the second message, we talked about all the healing promises of God in the Bible. And, and we began to look at where they are and what God says about healing. And we actually find that, that God wants health for us. And then the, the, fourth, or the third message we looked at, um, more specifically, that God wants you healed. We talked about that sometimes we look at the scripture as... A, uh, a blanket for everybody. So we don't ever take a hold of it as our own. We never really grasp it as something that is for us. You know, it's, we, we use that illustration of the, the, the newspaper article that says some rich, uh, rich uh, person died and he left all of his air, all, all of his millions of dollars to a single person. And you're like, well, that's a great news story, but it doesn't really mean anything to you. But if the person reading it to you says, but the person he left it to is you, then now... We have something to look at. Now we're interested. Now we understand that, oh, this is for me. Now it's not just for some other person, but it's for me, and it makes a difference. And that's what we looked at in the last message, how God wants you healed. It is for you, not just for everybody, and to make it personal. And finally, we want to talk today about our responsibility in healing, that there's there's a portion of this, and it's actually true with all the promises of God, is that we have a responsibility in them, that we have to grab hold of them by faith. And that goes from the, 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 the thing that I think in today's society takes the least amount of faith in as being saved is we trust God for our salvation all the way through all the promises of God. and We trust God for our provision. We grab hold of that by faith. We trust God for healing. We grab hold of that by faith. Just like if you look in Hebrews when it's got the list, it's the the, the hall of faith they call it. and It talks about all these different things, all these different people in the Bible are grabbing hold of things by faith and we all know that without faith it is impossible to please God. And I look at the the world around us and we see that you know when you when you talk about mission trips in other countries they see a whole lot more miracles and a whole lot more healing in those countries. And I you know I often wonder why why is it that that they enjoy such a greater revelation of the supernatural aspects of God than we do here in the states. But I think the the biggest issue that we have here in the states is that We've kind of let the supernatural go. We've we've kind of let that uh, that faith in something that's not science go. We're ruled in the United States, particularly, and in most first world countries, by science that science can explain everything, and and this is how it works. So we put our trust in in doctors and in science and the next greatest technology, and we've stopped putting our trust in God. You know, and the truth is, I think that's really detrimental to us receiving the promises of God. Even well-meaning Christians, I've heard me say, "Oh, I have, I have faith for them to to be to be made well," but I'm 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 a realist. You know, I, I understand that they, they kind of prepare for the worst. You know, I don't, yeah, I have faith that they'll be healed, but but i you know I know it's probably going to happen, and that's not faith. The Bible says that if we're double-minded, that we won't receive anything. True faith is, is is trusting God for the outcome, no matter what. And that's not to say that we can't go to doctors. That's not to say that we can't take medicine. That's, we looked at a scripture last week when it says, you lay hands on the sick and anoint them with oil. The anointing with oil was actually not a, a religious thing. That was They used oil as a, as a medicinal compound back then. That was medicinal to them. So there's no issue with going to the doctor or taking medicine. The, the issue is, are you trusting just the doctor by itself? Or are you putting your faith in God to use the doctor? And there's a, a major difference there. So let's go ahead and get started and start looking at some scriptures that illustrate uh, the faith that we need to be made well. The first scripture I want to look at is Matthew 9, 27 through 31. And it says, As Jesus went out from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came up to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, It shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him through all that land. You know, the first thing we have to recognize is... It says, have mercy on us, son of David. These are two blind beggars. And and the Jewish culture, if you were blind, if you had a defect, you were an outcast. You were a second-class citizen. And they would sit out on busy streets and they would beg for money and they, they had nothing. And they recognized something about Jesus, though. Even without eyes, they recognized something about who he was. They said, Son of David. Son of David was often was always used as a as a a, uh, a term to refer to the Messiah. So calling him the Son of David, they understood who he was. And the interesting thing about this is, as we've talked about before, is that the Messiah was by the Jews thought to be a political or military figure. They, they weren't seeing him as uh, someone to save their soul or a healer. He was going to come and and rescue them from their oppressors. He was going to set them free from the Romans. But these two blind men had an understanding that wasn't common among the Jews. They recognized that he was the Messiah. They called him Son of David, but they also came to him for healing. They understood something about Jesus that he had more in mind for them than just their freedom from the Romans, but actually uh, for their greater health. And then... He says, Do you believe that I am able to do this? The first thing Jesus asks was, Did you go to synagogue this week? That wasn't what he asked. He didn't ask, Were you a good person? Have you ever wronged anybody? Do you have any debts that need to be paid? Are you part of society? Are you a contributing member of society? Jesus didn't go down his list of who you are as a person and how good you are. All Jesus asked him was, Do you believe that I can do this? And what do you think the answer would have been is, well, I hope you can, but you know I'm, I'm a realist. I understand that this doesn't always happen. What do you think would happen if that was the, the response of these blind men? You know, Right here it says, it shall be done to you according to your faith. If they wouldn't have believed Jesus could have worked in their life, he, they would have effectively limited Jesus' ability to heal them. And we can do that in our own lives as well. If we don't trust God and put God first and believe what his word says first, we can effectively limit his ability to work in our lives, healing, among other areas included. And then even on top of that, these these men's faith is is not only do they say we believe, but it's demonstrated. Did you notice that it says they're following Jesus? And then it says when he entered the house, the blind men came up to him. These dudes walked up in somebody's house they didn't know. I mean, they were convinced Jesus could help them and they were going to risk anything. They walked into someone's house they didn't know asking for healing. And I think that's just amazing that that they're not only uh, expressing their faith with their mouth, but they're demonstrating it with their actions as well. Amen? The next verse I want to look at is Mark 10, 46 through 52. It says, Then they came to Jericho, and he's talking about Jesus and the disciples, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. This is very clever how they named people back in, the, and in these days. Bar just means son of. So dad was named Simeus, and he was son of Timaeus. Timaeus. <laughs> it says, Bartimus was the son of Timaeus sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, once again he recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah, have mercy on me. And many were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept out crying, he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, stand up, he is calling you. And throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And that's just a fancy word for teacher or or pastor, and Jesus said to him, "Go. Your faith has made you well." Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. The first thing I want you to show is as is, is Bartimaeus begins to to express his faith in what Jesus could do. It says he's a blind beggar. He's sitting on the road. So he's, he's sitting on the side of the road begging. He's a blind man. He can't work. He can't read. He can't, he's, like I said earlier, he's an outcast to society here. And the only thing that provides for him is the law of Moses says to take care of beggars. So he wasn't destitute like beggars here. It was actually considered uh, an honor or a, a, a requirement of, of Jewish uh, men and women to take care of these beggars. But he's laying out on the street He's got his, probably got his cloak laying down on the ground in front of him. That's what he used to beg on. That's what kept him warm at night. Basically, to a blind man, their cloak is everything. But he's sitting on the side of the road. And like I said, he's considered a second-class citizen. And he begins to yell. And the huge crowd around him. And the crowd's getting tired of him. And then finally, the disciples are getting tired of him. They're, they're all just getting irritated. They're saying, be quiet. But regardless of the attitude of the crowd around him, he believed that Jesus could do a miracle in his life. So he, he expressed his faith by going against the crowd. And then Jesus finally says, call him to me. And this is important. It's an important uh, lesson that we can learn in our lives. He said, stand up. He is calling for you. And he says, throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. You know, this is really a picture of a man who... Like I said earlier, his cloak was his life. It was what kept him warm at night because he didn't have a place to live. He was a beggar on the side of the street. And this cloak was his life. It was his lifeblood. It kept him warm at night. It's what he put down on the ground to beg on so he wasn't sitting on the ground. And it says he threw his coat away. He threw his cloak away. And the the idea here is that this man knew Jesus was gonna heal him. He didn't need this anymore. He knew that if he came to Jesus he would regain his sight and he would no longer be that crippled second class citizen. He had the opportunity to integrate into the life around him and his lifeblood he left there and it says he jumped up and came to him. He can't see. He just hears Jesus call, throws his cloak out of the way so he can move faster, puts his whole life behind him and comes to Jesus And Jesus says, go, your faith has made you well. I mean, Jesus, once again, didn't ask him, what he was doing, how was he being a benefit to society, how did he help his fellow man. He didn't ask him if he'd been reading his Bible. Well, I guess he wouldn't have been, he was blind. But he didn't, he didn't ask him if he was going to church. He didn't ask him, you know, what, what sins have you committed so we can get these straightened out before I heal you. You know, he didn't say, you know, we could have healed you, but I, I know what happened a few years ago, and, and that just puts you right out of the realm of blessing. You know, there's... That's nothing Jesus ever said to anybody that came up to ask for healing. But Jesus says, go, your faith has made you well. And immediately, he regained his sight and began to follow him on the road. So let's keep looking at more, more examples of this. In Luke 17, through 19, it says, While he was on the way to Jerusalem, speaking of Jesus, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village... Ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priest. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and fell on his face at his feet. That's at Jesus' feet, giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. This is kind of a side note, but I want to point out something that. You know, we talk about that Jesus is 100% man, but 100% God. He is God in the flesh. Jesus is God. And there's so many people that when I tell them this, or I've talked to them about this, and there's, you know, oh no, Jesus wasn't God. He was just a man. He was just a good man. Or he wasn't God. He was the son of God, but he wasn't actually God himself. But this is just one of the areas that demonstrates Jesus' deity. He says, he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. Glorifying God falls at the feet of Jesus. Now, if you look at other scriptures, when, when Paul is considered to be God and people fall at his feet, it says he tears his clothes. It, I mean, this stresses Paul out. The angel, when John, in the book of Revelation, John falls down at the angel's feet. And the angel's like, no, get up, dude. You can't, you can't worship me. That's reserved for God alone. But every time people begin to worship Jesus, he always accepts it. God, Jesus understood who he was. And he always accepted worship. Now, Jesus, being a good Jewish man, if he wasn't God, would have done the same thing as all these others. But that's a side note, just showing that, just one of the places in Scripture where you can show that Jesus is God. But Sinner says, Then Jesus answered and said, and this is verse 17, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God, except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well you starting to see a pattern here your faith has made you well so the first thing I want to look at is, is we have these ten lepers now lepers have got a rough life back then they uh, they they 're outcast from society they can't worship God they're considered ceremoniously unclean. Permanently, they're not allowed to worship God. They're not even allowed in the city without walking around, ringing a bell, yelling "unclean, unclean," so that nobody could touch them and become unclean themselves. But we look here, and we have a Sumerian leper with these Jewish lepers. Now, Jews and Samaritans at the time, or Samaritans at the time, they were—they uh, didn't hang out together. They were one was the Jewish people of God, the others were Gentiles, and they didn't—they didn't hang out together. They didn't speak together. But leprosy is such a bad thing that it, it erases the social divisions. These guys are no longer Samaritan and Jew; they're just lepers stuck on the outside of camp. They're not even allowed in the city. And so we have the Samaritan and the Jew, and the Jews. And I want you to notice what Jesus says to them. He says, "Go and show yourself to the priests." Now, these guys, and it says, as they were going, they were cleansed. Did you notice that Jesus didn't say, you're cleansed, now go see the priest. He says, go see the priest. They're not even healed yet. These dudes still got leper skin, arms falling off, ears falling off. They're, I mean, these guys are in bad shape. And he says, go see the priest. Now, the Jewish men, they know what that meant. They had to go see the priest to be compared for the priest to, to call them fit to worship, to say that they are cured. And can you imagine... What would happen if these guys didn't have faith? I'm not going to see the priest. Look at me. He's going to laugh at me if I walk up and say I'm healed. I mean, I can still see that I'm sick. I mean, leprosy is not a uh, not like a cold where you can only tell it if it's you. I mean, people can see leprosy. And he says, "Go." So these ten men they decide that they're going to trust Jesus, and they start going, still with leprosy, demonstrating their faith in what he said. And then the one sees that he's cleaned the Samaritan, which, which amazes Jesus because he's not even Jewish and he comes back to give God glory. These other guys are so jaded in what's going on. They just take the healing and they don't give God glory. You know, the first thing that should happen when God works in our life, when Jesus is a miracle in our life, is our response be to give God glory. We thank him for what he's done in our lives. And the one comes back. But I want you to know that Jesus points out that it was stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Now we're going to look at a longer story showing faith made people well. It's a little bit, uh, uh, it's over three slides here because it's a little bit longer story and spread into a couple different parts. But we're going to start with uh, Luke 8 40 through 42. And it says, And Jesus, and as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue. matter of fact, this word official here is actually more literally translated to a ruler of the synagogue. This guy is the main man. He's running the synagogue. He's the one that makes sure that the, the scrolls get read. He keeps up the synagogue. He performs maintenance. He's the one that makes sure that the sermons are, are given, and he asks someone in line to do the readings of the scrolls. This guy is the, the, the main man in this town. And it says, he come to him and he fell at Jesus' feet and he began to implore him to come to his house for he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. Now we have this guy, Jairus. He's a synagogue leader. He's, a, he's, a, he's the main man. And at this point, Jesus has been doing miracles all around him. At this point, the Jewish leadership wants him dead. This isn't right in the beginning of his ministry, but he's been doing a few things. And the general's consensus of all the Jewish leaders is that Jesus needs to be killed. He needs to be destroyed. There's actually a scripture that says they were trying to destroy him. And you know they didn't just want Jesus to be dead. They wanted to destroy his reputation, his works, everything that he's done. So this man, going against the rest of the leaders at his time, decides that he's gonna to go to Jesus. I so just want to show that the incredible act of faith that this man is showing by going against all of his contemporaries to the one man that they didn't not just like, they didn't just disagree with. They wanted this guy dead. You know, and, and I mean we look later in life, Paul was literally going into to Christians' homes because they trusted Jesus, pulling them out and stoning them and killing them and imprisoning them. And this is the attitude that these Jewish men had. But he decides that he's going to go see Jesus. He's going to trust who Jesus is, even to the detriment of probably his reputation. He'll probably lose his position for this, for going to trust Jesus. His, his family is going to be ostracized. This is, this is not a small deal for, for Jairus to go talk to Jesus. But... You know, he's hit rock bottom. His daughter is, is, is dying. His daughter is, I mean, we find out in the next few verses that his daughter is so close to dying that she dies within the next few hours. And this guy is at rock bottom. And do you ever wonder why sometimes it takes us to hit rock bottom before we ever go seek the Lord? I mean, can you imagine how much better our life would work out if we would just trust God in the first place? And that's not to say you're not going to face difficulties and, and have tough times. But why do we always wait till everything's falling apart before we finally say, oh wait, I guess I can't do this on my own. Let me go talk to God. But he goes, and he, he goes against them, and he's pressing through this huge crowd. But you can know you truly believe in something if you're willing to take great risks to stand for it. What kind of risk are you willing to take to put your trust and faith in Jesus? Did you know that evangelical Christians, who we are, are on the terrorist watch list for the government right now? Me, as a pastor, I'm way up on the list being part of an evangelical Christian. I'm considered a terrorist by our U.S. government. And honestly, so are you because you're part of an evangelical Christian church. And it's, it's amazing to me when I read this list that they, they actually handed it out to the Border Patrol. We've got some Border Patrol friends. That's how I, I know about this. But we're considered terrorists because we believe in Jesus. And right now, it's, it's nothing. I mean, you guys never heard about it, but there may come a day that... That we're persecuted much more harshly for what we believe. And the question is, are we willing to take a great risk for what we believe? You know, I know, I know that I, I, would, I, would, I would. I hope that I'm like this man, Jairus, that says, I don't care what my contemporaries think. I don't care what's going to happen to me. I'm putting my faith in Jesus, and that's it. So now we go to verse 40, 43. It's the, the continuing this story. So we have... Jairus, the leader of the, of the synagogue, he's the, the main man in this, this part of town. And now we have, and Jesus is on his way to help his dying daughter. I mean, she's in a bad shape. And this woman here interrupts. It says, a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. And immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. You remember right here in the verse before it says, as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. This is, this is not Jesus walking with a couple of people around him. He's got people touching him. It's so crowded. And it says, who is the one who touched me? And they're like, really? You're asking that question? Everybody's touching you. And he says, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So now we have... bunch of stuff going on that just shows the determination and faith involved with this woman trying to reach Jesus. One, the synagogue official is trying to get Jesus to go see his son. Two, she's been hemorrhaging. Basically, because of the bleeding that she was having, she was considered ceremoniously unclean. She couldn't go to the temple. She was unclean, but not just sometimes, always. For 12 years, this woman has been considered ceremoniously unclean. And it says, She could not be healed by anyone. She had spent all her money going to the best doctors, going to everywhere, trying to get healed, and nobody could heal her. She's been 12 years she's been living with this. And she snuck up on him. She basically tries to get in there out without being seen, and she touches his cloak. Now, how many of you know that Jesus' cloak doesn't have magical powers? That Jesus' cloak is not what healed this woman. How do I know this? Because the people were pressing in around him and touching him. It didn't happen to anybody else. They were all touching Jesus. And nobody else got miraculously healed just by touching him. There was something different about this woman. There was something different. Because she believed that if she could just touch his cloak, if she could just touch the hem of his garment, that she would be healed. She knew that he had the power to heal. Now, she's a little bit misguided into how that comes. I mean, it's not touching the cloak that made her well. It was actually her faith in Jesus. We find out later in another story we're going to talk about shortly that distance is not a limiting factor to God touching you. And then, you know, because she's had this for so long, this isn't a, most likely the people around knew who she was. She knew the problems that she was having. For her to be out in the middle of that crowd touching all those people, could have got her stoned. They would have killed her because she's making everybody around her unclean. Everybody she touches is unclean until the afternoon, until that night. And she braves the crowd. She braves stopping this, this Jewish leader. For, I mean, can you imagine this guy going, wait a minute, she's just supposed to be healing my daughter. Why are you taking time out for this unclean, lower class person? I'm, I'm the head honcho here. Why are you taking time for this nobody? who can't even go to worship God. She's been sick for so many years. But she braves that. And then on top of that, she gets there, and once she's found out, Jesus had her talk, talk about why she did it. She says she declared in the presence of all the, of all the people the reason why she did it. So now even the people that didn't know she had this, now everybody knows she's got it. This woman went through an incredibly tough obstacle to get what she was having, but she believed and was willing to take the risk because she knew Jesus could touch her lives. And finally, he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. It was her faith that did it. Matter of fact, Jesus didn't go out there with a desire to heal her. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to heal this person today. Jesus had no idea until after it happened. You know, this is her faith. Made her will it was her trust in God, and it's not that, that Jesus didn't want to heal her because we've we've read earlier that God wants to heal everybody. It's actually uh, what He wants for all of us. It's actually why He sent His Son to restore us to the position we were as Adam was to be made with no sickness, no disease, to be made with no past, to be made perfect and pure and holy. So we know that God does want us healed, but this wasn't an act of Jesus's will. This was an act of her faith. Amen. In Matthew 11:12, it says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven, heaven, heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. I believe this is an example of this woman taking the kingdom of heaven by force. She was standing for what she believed in, and there was nothing that was going to stop her from letting her have her miracle that God had already promised to her. Amen. So now we continue the story. Verse 49 through 55. While he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. How would you feel if you were Jairus right now? I'd be pissed. I'd be ticked. I'd be absolutely enraged. Jesus was coming to my daughter and I believe I went against everything that I know. I went against my, my contemporaries. I went against what all the people think and and he wants to stop and help some sick lady that doesn't mean anything, and now my daughter's dead. I would be upset. But Jesus heard this, and he answered him, Do not be afraid any longer. Only what? Only believe, and she will be made well. And when he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. It says, Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her. But he said, stop weeping, for she has not died, but is asleep. Did you know that they had professional weepers and wailers back in those days? When someone died, the people that were on call waiting for, for calamity came up and just began to weep and wail. Well. That's what they did. That was their job, was to just make a scene. To express, to express the pain that was being felt. I mean, it wasn't just, I mean, we, we joke about it. It seems kind of silly to us today, but it was very important for them to express the pain that was happening. I mean, the guy's daughter just died. And he says, stop your weeping. Stop your wailing. She's not died. She is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. Can, you know, we, we look at this stuff. And can you imagine if Jesus came to you and told you something, and you just began to laugh at him? I mean, and, you know, hindsight is 20-sunny. We know who Jesus is. But we look, I can't believe they laughs at Jesus. Do they, do they not know who he was? If I was alive in that time, I wouldn't have laughed at Jesus. But you know what? We would have been just in the same boat. They were. They think he's crazy. He just said they begin laughing at him because she said she's just asleep. So what does he do? He goes ahead and says, Alright, all you guys stay out there. Hush up. Peter, John, James, and the girl's father and mother. You're the only ones that can come in with me. Why did he do that? Why did he only let a few in? You know, I believe that when we look at this, we see that that, and we'll see later that when there's a lot of people around that don't believe that can begin to affect your own faith. That can actually begin to to rub off on you when you have people going, oh, that's not gonna happen, that's impossible. When you have people laughing, saying, she's dead, what are you thinking? So Jesus says, you know what, everyone get back away, I'm just gonna take in a few of my disciples who I know believe in me and I believe in me and we're gonna get away from the distractions. We're gonna get away from those people that are trying to tell us that it can't happen and we're gonna trust. And then he took her by the hand and said, Child, arise. And her spirit returned. And she got up immediately, and he gave orders for something to be given to her to eat. You know what else Jesus doesn't do here? He doesn't go, Oh, Lord, if you could please maybe heal this little girl. Oh, Lord, please let her live again. Pretty, pretty please, Lord, let her live again. Oh, Lord, please, please, please let her live again. You know, sometimes that's how we pray. We begin to beg God to work in our lives. When God said, speak to this mountain and it will be cast into the sea. Jesus doesn't beg God to heal her. He takes authority over what's going on and says, child, arise. And her spirit returned and she got up immediately. Amen. Only believe. He says, do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. We need to keep that in mind as we're dealing with stuff in our lives. Amen. Next verse we want to look at is Matthew 8, 5 through 13. And this is the centurion. It says, And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him imploring him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. As we talked, a centurion is a a Roman soldier who's in charge of a hundred soldiers. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word And my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go. And he goes. And to another, come. And he comes. And to my slave, do this. And he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. Twice Jesus marvels. Once here, with this Roman soldier who is not even a Jew, who understands faith so incredibly, And the other time is when he's in his own town and the Jews won't believe. He marvels at belief and he marvels at unbelief. And he says, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, this is Jesus actually beginning to point to the fact that that uh, salvation is going to come to the Gentiles as well. Basically he's saying, this dude's a Roman soldier, he's a Gentile, and he has greater faith than anybody I've met in Israel so far. And he says that, that many will come to recline at the table with God. And Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are all going to be there in the kingdom of heaven, but many aren't going to make it. He's talking about these Jews that refuse to grab hold of salvation by faith instead of trying to grab hold of it by what they performed and what they've done and by works. And Jesus said, to in verse 13, it continues, saying, Jesus said to the centurion, go, it shall be done for you as you as you believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. You know, this, this idea of authority and understanding what faith is. Like Jesus spoke to that little girl in the last scripture that we read. He said, child arise. He was operating with the full authority of God behind him. He didn't doubt that what he said was going to happen. And the centurion, is it the same thing? He says, I say to, uh, I'm, I'm a man under authority with soldiers under me. The first thing we have to understand with authority is that we have to be under authority. When we submit to God's authority, then we have the full backing of his authority to back us up when we speak. It's like when a police officer comes and exercises his authority to, you know, he pulls you over and gives you a ticket. His authority is because he is under authority to the city and state governments that he works for. He is under authority and is therefore given authority to give you a ticket if you're speeding. In the same reason that if I ran up behind you going, woo, 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 you wouldn't pull over for me. Because I don't have that authority behind me. I don't have the authority to to make you stop what you're doing. But this centurion understood that. He says that I say, I have soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go. And he goes into another, come. And he comes into my slave, do this. And he does it. He understood that Jesus was a man under authority as well. And all he had to do was say the word. Remember I said there was no distance requirements for faith in healing. There was no... You know, Jesus didn't have to be next to, that, uh, next to Jairus' daughter for his faith to be, to be activated. If you would have just had this great faith. But Jesus came because he knew that he needed to be in a position where they could operate in the faith that they had. But this man's faith was great. He didn't, don't even come. You just say the word and I know you'll be healed. And what does Jesus say to him? Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. Amen. Next, in Matthew fifteen twenty-one through 28, we see uh, in verse 21, it says, Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. She recognizes who Jesus is again. And she's not even a Jew. She's a Canaanite. She's a Gentile. She says, My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, "'Send her away because she keeps shouting at us.'" You ever felt like Jesus is, God is ignoring you? Jesus is ignoring you when you talk to him? You ever felt that way? This girl, she saw it. Jesus just flat out ignored her. "'And he did not answer her, "'and his disciples came and implored him, "'saying, send her away because she keeps shouting at us. "'But he answered and said to her, "'I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. "'But she came and began to bow down before him, "'saying, Lord, help me.'" She bows down to him and calls him Lord. She recognizes who he is. And he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from the master's table. She basically understood that there was room for her. When I was in Africa, we were preaching to uh, actually pastors. Um, That's what we went to. We weren't preaching to the village. We were actually training pastors on the trip that I was on up there. And we had... uh, four days of meetings as we all began to minister to these pastors and train them to be effective leaders of the word because a lot of times in, in some of these countries missionaries go over there they train, they quickly find some people that are willing to be pastors, they smack them on the butt, call them a pastor and they leave and they never see them again. I mean these, these guys have literally don't even have a Bible, they have a couple pages of scriptures and they're, they're pastors of these areas. So we took the opportunity to train them, but a lot of them don't really understand what Jesus really did for them. What was amazing to me is, is, by the end of this, we had like twenty-four pastors get saved. These guys are pastors, and they weren't even saved yet. But the one I remember the most was this, this lady. Her her husband was uh, was the pastor of the church, and he he passed away, and she he was uh, she picked up the torch, and she was leading this congregation in her town. And she began to weep and cry as Pastor Mike was preaching. My pastor was preaching. And she began to cry out, there's room for me. There's room for me. She's on her knees bawling, crying, there's room for me. She didn't know that there was room for her. And she finally began to understand it as he's preaching. And it's the same as this one. She says, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs of fall from the master's table. There's room for me. And then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. Second time, Jesus tells somebody's faith is great, and it's not a Jew again. This one's a Canaanite. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. You know, sometimes we think that we face uh, persecution or we face struggles when we pray. And this story absolutely amazes me. The faith of this woman you know, we go to God and sometimes it doesn't happen as quickly as we want. And we, Oh, God's an answer to my prayer. Or, I'm going to give up because maybe it's not what God wants. Instead of continuing to pray based on the Word of God, what it says. You know, we think that maybe God doesn't want me healed. Maybe I'm, I'm doing this, I'm being sick to be taught a lesson or, or all these different things. And that's just in our own mind when the Word of God says, no, that by His stripes you are made whole. We just grab hold of it by faith. But can you imagine if if you're praying to God in an audible voice, he says, no. I mean, Jesus basically told her no. He says, look, you know, she's ahead of her time. After Jesus dies, Paul eventually takes the gospel to the Gentiles, but at this point, salvation is for the Jews, and she's kind of ahead of her time. She understands that there's room for me, but it wasn't, you know, kind of like Jesus said uh, before he did his first miracle, it's not yet my time. There was a timing for all of this, and but she knew there was room for me. And Jesus, t- I, c- I couldn't imagine how devastating that would be when the, the man that you know can heal you, the man that you've put all your faith in basically says, no. But she says, no, Lord. I know who you are. I understand what you have for me. She says, there's room for me. The, the, even the dog's feet on the crumbs would fall from the master's table. And then Jesus said to her, woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. Once again, we find Jesus not, not actively and willingly wanting to heal somebody, but they grab hold of it by faith because that's what the promises of God are. By faith, we are made whole and we are made well. <clears throat> and in Matthew 8, 2-4, it says, And a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And we looked at this verse last week where specifically talking that God is willing to heal you. He wants you healed. And last week we talked about this from Jesus' perspective, touching a leper because he, you know, he's a Jew. If he touches this leper, now he's unclean till the end of the day. We talked about all the things that Jesus did to show this man that he was willing and wanted him healed. And then immediately the leprosy was cleaned after Jesus touched him. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest and presenting an offering the Moses commanded as a testimony to them. I want to look at it up from the, the, the perspective of this leper now. This guy is going up to a Jewish man. Against all odds. Like I said, if these men, if they were acting out of line, if they were walking through and not ringing their bell, yelling unclean in the cities, they could be stoned and killed because they were putting other people's cleanliness in jeopardy. And he went up against all odds, demonstrating his faith that Jesus could heal him. And Jesus said, I am willing to be cleansed. Jesus touched him, demonstrating his willingness. Amen? The next one is another example of... of word doesn't specifically say that they have faith, but you you see that they have faith. In Mark 2, 2 through 12, it says, And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them, and they came bringing him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet by which the paralytic was laying. And Jesus, seeing their faith," I beg your pardon. They do say he saw his face. Jesus saw their faith. And he said, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? This is amazing to me. One, Jesus is asserting his... (laughs) We have a running joke. You see how many times I can get my tongue tied in these sermons. Michelle sat here and actually counted like eight times in one sermon. (laughs) So... Um, but these guys, you know, Jesus is asserting his his, uh, his godliness. He's asserting his deity by forgiving this man. And I find it interesting that back then, it was an incredibly large amount of faith for forgiveness and a smaller amount of faith for healing. They were more willing to accept healing than they were to accept forgiveness. Where in today's society... We are much more willing to accept forgiveness, but it's almost impossible for people to get healed these days. You know, we we don't express the same kind of faith that these guys did for healing, but we do for forgiveness. And it's, it's just kind of, it's odd to me. It's interesting to note how things have changed over these last 2,000 years. And it says, immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way with themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, which is something you couldn't see, you just accepted. Which I think is why we see it today. It's easier to say our sins are forgiven because there's not always an immediate outward uh, uh, response. or you, know, you can't just look at somebody and see if they're saved. You can see by their fruit if they're saved, but if you just look at somebody, you can't tell that. So he says, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and pick up your pallet and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet and go home. And he got up immediately, picked up the pallet, and went out in the sight of everyone, so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. This was just an amazing thing for them. They, one, got to see that Jesus was God, and he has the authority to forgive sins, and he's healing people. And I, I really like this one here because it says seeing their faith. Now, we know that Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, can, can reason on what's going on inside of a man's heart. It even says here that... Uh, Immediately jesus awareness spirit that they were reasoning this is the people that were against him Jesus knows your faith without seeing it, but in this case, he could literally see their faith. they dug a hole in the roof. What do you guys think we would do if we were if I was sitting in here preaching on on healing and we were so full and someone dug a hole in my roof i don 't think i 'd be as gracious as these men here. I, what are you doing? you know wait your turn I, I would They'd be sending out a bill. Yeah, I, I don't even know what I would do if someone dug a <laughs> hole in my roof to get somebody in here. I mean, I, what would you guys do? <laughs> I, so, so, so Jesus literally sees their faith. They're willing to destroy someone's property. And and, uh, and I don't know exactly how this would fall, but I do know if you, if you stole from somebody, you had to repay it seven times over, I believe, according to the law. There was definitely a multiple. I don't remember what it was exactly. I think it was seven times. I imagine they had to repay this guy's roof seven times over. I mean, they basically destroyed this man's property. But they were willing to do that because they believed that Jesus could touch this man. And Jesus literally saw their faith. And I find it interesting here that we don't see anything about that. We don't see them getting upset. There's no record of the, the house owner pitching a fit. And you would think that if there was, they would have. I mean, this, when they're recording this history, they're they're pretty good about recording the good and the bad. And... I noticed how different it was when Jesus healed the demoniac that had the legion inside of him, 2,000 demons inside of him. And he casts, you know, he says, all right, go into the pigs. He lets them go into the pigs. The pigs all jump off a cliff and die. And in this case, dude got his home, his roof ripped off of him. And there's no complaining. They understand that they they cared about this man. And they, they saw their face and they recognized it. But these other guys, the demoniac gets healed And the pigs go die, and they're more concerned about the pigs than they are about the man that just got freed. Definitely an interesting contrast between these two stories. Amen? Mark, this is a funny one too, Mark 7, 31 through 35, and it says, again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee. And within the region of Decapolis, they brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his finger into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue with his saliva. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Epphatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. Now this is a dude with some faith. Because, I don't know, have you ever, if you, you remember like on, uh, as a kid or you see those shows where they're, they're, they're going to send somebody, in, uh, you know, a young girl or some boy into a closet where it's dark and, and then finally kiss the boy or girl of their dreams, and they send him in there and it's completely dark, and, and then when they flip the lights on it turns out he's kissing a goat or something. You know, they totally tricked him because it's dark and he couldn't see That's what I imagine this man's thinking. He's like, yeah, they're taking me out to be healed. He takes him away from all the crowds, and then he hears this. <laughs> Wait a minute. I thought you were going to get me. What's going on? And then all of a sudden he gets a wet willy and someone sticks his, you know, sticks his spit on his, you know, touches his tongue with spit and puts it in the dude's mouth. I mean, how much faith do you got to have to just not, never mind. I'll just stay blind. I'll just stay deaf. You know what I mean? Like, this guy had some serious faith because, yeah, I, I, seriously, are you guys kidding? Are you guys fooling with me? I'm not really getting healed, am I? You'd be looking for, uh, what 's the guy 's name that does punked? Uh aston Kutcher Ashton you out there? you know this is this guy, but he began to he overcame these things that seemed out of the ordinary and he trusted God he trusted Jesus and as a result he began to hear and he was able to speak and you know there 's even a bigger miracle happening here because this guy I believe it was from uh he was deaf and spoke with difficulty. The guy could barely hear. He can't speak at all. He never learned how to talk. You know, even, even people, that, you know, people that are born deaf, even if they, they can begin to hear at some point, they still can't talk because they don't know how. They never learn. And Jesus not only healed his physical hearing impairment, but he also gave him the ability to speak plainly because of his faith. Amen? And then in Matthew 17... Oh man, I'm going to get a move on. Matthew 17:14 through 20, it says, When they came to the crowd, a man came up, Jesus falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and saying, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. I mean, Jesus isn't talking to his disciples right then. He's talking to the crowd. He's like, what is wrong with you people? Why can't you just trust God? You know, we already know in the scripture, that he says, I'm not a man that I should lie, or the son of man that I would change my mind. I tell the truth. Why can't you trust me? He says, you unbelieving and perverted generation. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. And now the disciples came to Jesus privately and say, why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you." Jesus is saying it was your lack of faith effectively made it impossible for God to heal this young boy. And Now we're going to look at this, the same story in a different gospel. This was in the gospel of Mark, and it says, And one of the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought, you, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth, he grinds his teeth, he stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. And answering, and he answered them and said, O unbelieving generation, how shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And this is the part I want to pay attention to. And they brought the boy to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into convulsion, and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It is often thrown him both into fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. For this man says, Jesus, if you can do anything, and Jesus doesn't say, okay, I'll take care of it. He says, if you can not if I can, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Jesus is actually asking, if you can do something, if you will put your faith and trust, then your boy will be healed. You know, and it's, uh, it's translated in the New King James version like this. He says, Jesus, in verse 23, it says, Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. What do you mean if I can, if you can? It's our faith that makes us well. This is the one, and we're going to, I know I'm running pretty late here, so I'm going to try to get through it quickly. We'll just skip down to, to verse 4. It says, Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, and among his own relatives and his own household. He could do no miracle there except that he laid his hand on a few sick people and healed them, and he wondered at their unbelief. He marveled at their unbelief. You know, he, could, he couldn't do any miracles because these people's lack of faith says a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. You know, I felt like this personally. I remember when I first got saved looking at my my family, they they, they thought this was just a phase he's going through. I don't know if you went through the same thing but but you know my hometown, my family you know, kind of treated me weird when I when I first became saved, and then as I became a pastor, the same thing happened. These people that had known me, especially the ones that had known me for a long time, they're like, "Dude, I know you. You're not really a pastor." You know, this, there's this this not without honor, but your own town. I mean, this this idea that that people see us as who we used to be, and not who God has made us to be, and it can and it can actually cause problems. It can it for Jesus, it made it where he could do no great miracle in Bethlehem. It actually. He says he just laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. There was just a couple people that believed in what Jesus could do and he was able to heal them. But for the most part, their lack of faith effectively limited God's ability to work in this city. And that's amazing to me that, that unfortunately or unfortunately, it's, it's good if we can have faith, but it's also bad when we limit God's ability to work in our life because we refuse to believe his word. Mm. We just go to the last one. And in Acts 14, 7 through 10, it says, And there they continued to preach the gospel. At Lystra a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he had fixed his gaze on him, had seen that he had faith to be made well. And he said with a loud voice, Stand up right on your feet. And he leaped up and began to walk. I just want to show in this one that it's not just Jesus who was healing people. It's not just working through Jesus. In this particular verse, we find an interesting thing. First, we have this man that was listening to Paul as he spoke. You know, there's a, there's an order to how this works. One, the gospel gets preached. The gospel gets preached, and by faith, you get saved, and you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you're made brand new, and you're given a new spirit, and you're made whole. And then, After the gospel is preached, then you get taught on what, like what I've been doing over the last few days. I've been teaching you what the word of God says about healing. And that word in you creates faith. And we see here Paul looks and he says, when he fixed his gaze on him, he seen that he had faith to be made well. And he said with a loud voice, stand up right on your feet. And he leapt up and began to walk. You know, Paul was seeing the same things Jesus was seeing, and it wasn't Paul wasn't an extraordinary man in the sense that he had magical powers to heal people. Jesus uh, wasn't using magic to heal people; it was their faith in God. We see that the rest of the disciples, Peter and and uh, uh, James, as they healed people, it was. It was not them that was doing it oftentimes we get confused we we put our faith in the men and women that have healing ministries or in the pastor you know thinking that only the pastor can pray for me if I want to get healed. But the truth is that it 's not the pastor praying for you it's not it 's not these disciples and apostles but it's it 's your faith being activated now when you have somebody pray for you. And, and after the service, I'm going to ask for people to come up that want to get prayed for for healing. But it's not, it's not my faith alone that heals you. It's your faith. And when I pray for you, it's, I encourage your faith. And my faith coupled with yours, as your faith gets activated, and you release your faith for the healing power of God. That's how you become healed, by trusting in a promise that is already yours. We just grab a hold of it by faith. You know, Jesus died to make us whole. Uh, The Bible says that by His stripes we are made well, that we are are cured from sickness and disease, and we have to grab hold of that by faith. Uh, Any of the promises of the Bible are always grabbed hold of by faith. You will not receive anything from God if you will not put your faith in Him, because the Bible says it is impossible to please God without faith. And we see all throughout the Bible that that's how the promises were grasped by men of old in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It was always by faith that these promises were grabbed hold of. And the truth is... The enemy is always going to be be around to tell you that no, that's not the case. That no, you can't be healed. No, you're not good enough. No, that uh, you did some things in your past, or or you're not reading your Bible, or you're reading your Bible enough, or not coming to church enough, or you don't tithe enough, or you don't help enough people out, and you're always selfish. The enemy is always going to be questioning who you are in Christ, and you have to choose to believe that you are a new person in Christ, and that you were whole and made new. And by doing that, you can grab hold of the promises of God in our life. You know, I talked about that uh, idea of being a realist. Let's be realists. But understand that, that being a realist means believing the truth of the Word of God under all circumstances, regardless of what the world is telling you, what science is telling you, what friends are telling you, or what even yourself or the enemy is telling you. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and uh, stand our feet.